Welcome to the U Catastrophe, where we meander through pop culture, politics, change of society to consider what we're saying are true human ends, perhaps, and how life we hope may be enchanted. I'm Joel Harrison, joined as always by Dave Taylor, and we've um, been really enjoying your company as we uh, recorded our first three episodes, put them in the bag. What a journey it's been. We've also had, I think, what we could describe as just an increase in the level of smugness, um, which is creating an entire bed or an entire sea of smugness, which is good. Um, and I've been very, very pleased to see that on our Facebook page, we now have pin-up pictures of Dave <laughs> with uh, wonderful quotes from him just uh, just to look at daily, essentially. <laughs> so, Dave, what's been your most, uh, what's been your favorite social media interaction as we've been um, going on? Somebody said on that particular post that Dave Taylor um, looks like a tradie, thinks like a philosopher. Oh, that was a pretty, oh, pretty yeah. good one. Yeah. So, yeah, um, gosh, yeah, that that was pretty great. We did get called smug at least twice. Who? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who else, who who would be an actual philosopher that looks like a tradie. Oh, for Zizek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, someone described him as um, a raccoon that a witch had turned into human form behind the library at a university. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, I think. I think those oh, would that's, be that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 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 our shaved raccoon, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> um, yeah. So a couple of times we were called smug. We got again referred to as the best cultural Marxists going yeah, around. Well, yeah. So um now what when two or three agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you everyone for for interacting with us and liking us and sharing us and th- things like that. It's all very helpful and it's nice to to be getting a nice sense of community going as yeah. well. So, Dave, um, this episode mm. we are tackling something we probably um, have no real rights to tackle, mm-hmm. <laughs> but why not? It's going to be a little a bit <laughs> yeah. out of our depth, but let's try it anyway. What are we looking at? Uh, we're looking at uh, respecting religion generally, but in particular um, Islam. Um, so, yes, it's a difficult subject to talk about. Um, so as all of you uh, would be aware of, on the 15th of March um, this year, a mosque and an Islamic centre in Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, were the sites of some pretty horrific anti-Islamic terrorism, uh, which cost lives of 50 women, uh, men and children. Um, and, yeah, as we know, this sent shockwaves throughout the world with people across the political spectrum condemning both violence, uh, the violence itself in that particular act, as well as Islamophobia, or actually more commonly racism generally. Um, and so we have people from both um, our uh, Liberal Party, which is our Conservative Party in Australia, and the Labor Party, as well as um, other minor parties as well, all coming out to condemn um, this horrible xenophobia. Um although there were some notable exceptions with uh, some morally void individuals um, in uh, our Senate taking it as an opportunity to double down um, on their hatred of uh, our Islamic neighbours. Now, I think up front, I think the first thing to say is that in many ways it's quite refreshing and quite uh, energising to see so many people 
standing up in solidarity with their Islamic brothers and sisters um, during a very difficult time, which I can only imagine it is. Um, and it could be argued that I think, um, yeah, this actually shows a lot of soul searching in the, in the West about how it understands uh, this particular group of people. But at the same time, it could be argued that that some deep systematic kind of issues with the Western or Anglophone, at least, political imaginary when it comes to issues of religion and what it is that we're trying to protect uh, when we talk in terms of religious liberty. Um, some, I think, limitations have come to the fore in some of the rhetoric that's been used around the wake of these attacks. Um, Joel, you're someone who thinks a little bit about law, politics, and religion. I try to. <laughs> Every um, now and then. Uh, do you th- am I right in thinking that some of the rhetoric, if not a great deal of the rhetoric around Islam in the wake of these terror attacks, has been somewhat limited? Let's start there. Yeah, I, I think you, you're right first to affirm that... Um, you know, the response has generally been, you know, affirming towards communities in our midst. Um, in New Zealand, it's definitely the case that there has been an outpouring of um, grief and solidarity with these communities and so on. But I think there is something interesting here. So um, I reckon this, you can look at it from this angle. So even responses that you saw from religious leaders, non-Muslims and so on, um, I think fascinating were were limited in the way that they understood um, what was under attack here. So there was a lot of responses that were equivalent of thoughts and prayers because this is an attack on our freedoms. Mm. You know, this is an attack on our religious liberty <clears throat> because this community has been under attack. And, and I think that um, in itself seems slightly anodyne to me. Um, when I first started seeing this uh, coming out of Christchurch and so on, and uh, I thought, what does it mean to murder in a church or a synagogue or a mosque? Um, you know, this is not just simply the attack upon a sub-community mm. but, uh, that is exercising their liberty, but it seems to me to be more um, offensive in a deeper sense of it's an attack upon the very attempt to commune with the divine, mm. right? Um, the God who breathes life into creation and declares it good, and that violence is set against that very attempt at communion. Now, mm. this this means that it's 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 symbolically heightened at the point of mm. an attack in a mosque or an attack in a synagogue or an attack in a church, but that also evidences a logic behind violence itself more mm. generally, right, that it's about um, it's, it's anti-life in the sense of life is good yep. and it is a gift from the good creator. Mm. And so the offensiveness of murder is an offensiveness against that created yep. order, right? Or that attempt to um, engage in communion. So here I thought, well, it's not just simply then the liberty, but it's the religious quest yep. that is under attack as well, that has been attacked, that has mm. been ruptured and breached here. Um, and I think that's important to actually... Yep. Uh, recognize that religious quest because then it dovetails into our discussions about how we understand mm. religion in our society generally. Yeah. More generally, we like to focus on it as a species of liberty. Mm. Um, 
a, a an example of how individuals may pursue their authenticity. In fact, we may think of authenticity as the actual fundamental of what religion is. Yep. It's not a religious quest to say a transcendental order, a creator, mm. a, a God that is transcendent above, um, above creation, but rather religion just dissolves into quests for identity or quests for authenticity or quests, uh, individual forms of liberty. Yep. And that means we find it hard to talk about in our society religion as a good yep. and i think then um some of this discussion then around islam we dissolve it into different frameworks of identity so we'd mm. like to talk about it as culture or cultural minority race perhaps um and the cultural minority we often think of it within our multicultural sort of um uh, milieu because then we like to it almost then transforms islam into one choice on a menu of choices, mm. right? That individuals can affiliate to, um, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, or they can affiliate to any other forms of whatever they want to define their lives by and so on. Um, you know, but we're much more okay discussing it in those mm. frameworks than we are thinking about, well, no, this is a community that is actually making claims. Yep as to what it means to commune mm. with the divine. Yes. So what I'm hearing you saying is that um, we need to, in, in taking seriously what's going on with an Islamic community or any religious community, we have to acknowledge that they exist for a particular purpose, that is to pursue the divine, and that is a substantive objective goal of that community. Yeah. And to just treat it as a identity marker or something like that doesn't yeah. quite... Touch on it, and it's interesting um, because I think I can imagine some Christians thinking find it difficult to think in those terms because it might be something like a zero sum game with mm. the pursuit of the divine. So if you're not following, um, if you're not pursuing God through the incarnation of the person of Christ, um, then you're so far removed from from the from the game that you can't actually consider it in the same genus of what, yeah. what the Christian is doing. Yeah. But I, I was actually very pleased to see that our Archbishop in Sydney, he actually framed it this this way himself. He actually said it, it's particularly atrocious because it happens in the context right. of prayer and a seeking of union or communion with the divine. I was very, I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I, I was very pleased with that. Um, well, I think you can only understand religion as a good in thick terms. There is no just abstract conception of, religion in the sense of you know what happens is you get this abstract conception mm. that then means it's a um you know a modern quest for one's individual identity or mm. something and then all things then become religious but you can have a thick understanding of religion so mm. in christian terms and then the point is to say well we're engaged in a quest and that gives meaning to other quests it gives yeah. analogy it gives now we understand there are differences mm -hmm. but actually i have more um uh, I have more to affirm in mm. an Islamic community mm. that is engaged in attempting to commune with the divine mm. than I do in somebody who just wants to reduce it down to an individual act of identity yeah. construction or so on. Um, you know, I, I recognize that there are differences. And in fact, the fact that I recognize that there is such a thing as a religious quest allows me to engage with them respectfully on those differences yes. because one of the difficulties we face is that... Um, 
by reducing it down to simply, oh, it's a context for choice or it's an individual identity marker or something, mm. what we do is we, we, we actually engage what Pope Benedict described as a form of disrespect because then we don't understand this as a fully realized, um, thick understanding about the nature of political community and religious community and the orientation mm. of all of life towards a certain end. Yeah. And if we don't understand it as that, if we don't engage with it on those terms then we fail to actually engage with what this community mm. is saying and doing yeah. and, 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 and how, in fact, it may want to shape public life. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I mean, I'm doing a professional qualification at the moment, uh, training to be a counsellor, and I'm constantly coming up this, with this thing that you hear a lot um, in maybe con- um, either professional ethics or cross-cultural counselling situation. I'm training to be a counsellor where the, the assumption from the instructor is always that if you have a firm belief in something, it's going to be problematic because you won't be able to kind of right. interact with people who disagree with you. And I'm sitting in a class with a next door Muslim person knowing that actually we get each other much better right. than the instructor does right. uh, because we both understand that we're not engaging in some sort of um, quest for authenticity or individual yeah. choice, we both feel existential compulsion right. to belong to a particular historical tradition. But there's something there about um, that you should be holding this lightly in a certain way. Mm. And and I to give another example to that, when I did my recent induction, um, I did a um, module on cultural competence and so on, and it asked you to talk about um, your own um different identity markers mm. and the only way it could talk about religion was asking the question do you have a background mm. does your family have a background and it sort of then dissolves it mm. into something like you know um what school did you go to yeah. or what you know other little plot point in your narrative can we find as opposed to you know religion being the whole orientation of one's life for example yeah. right yeah. that actually has public consequences to how you then yeah. think the public order should be, um, you know, ordered. Um, yeah. Now, then I think this this creates interesting tensions because um, what you get is you have people will affirm, say, Islam or even just any other religious community, will affirm it on the terms of like, um, you know, different theorists will talk about um, why are we interested in religious groups? Oh, well, we may be interested in them because they provide a context for choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in which individuals can pursue their conception of the good. Mm. Um, and then we get shocked by the claims of these communities to, in fact, be a fully full community. So mm. an interesting, real interesting example, I think, is recently in Birmingham, they had the Parkland Primary School where 600-odd parents, I think it was, um, threatened to remove their children from school. Mm. Muslim parents threatened to remove their children from school because they weren't uh, agreeing with the education on um, diverse family structures Mm. that was going on for those students. And the commentary on that is really fascinating because the people objecting to it, um, they they object because they see the parents as limiting the choices of the children, and that is contrary to what the school should be. It should be an emancipator oh. of these children to allow them to exercise their choice. So you get this real conflict and lack of understanding, I think, as to what the religious community there is in fact objecting to and mm. in part saying we are a community orientated by certain purposes that structure how we are going to educate mm. our child. It's it's difficult for me to think of what choice might mean there as far as pedagogy goes because any 
you're always going to be presenting the world to a child mm. through a particular horizon of meaning mm. um, and you'll always be closing off options when you do that. Mm. So whether it's a liberal or progressive horizon of meaning or a religious one, the idea that, you know, I think we quote say this quote every episode, but that we have no story until except the story that we tell ourselves so you say it. What's the, what's <laughs> the, har- the harrowest yeah, stuff? Yeah. That, that we have no story. We have no story except the story that we tell ourselves that we. Yeah, that I one. Can't, I'm not gonna. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but that this idea that somehow it's possible to just be a neutral canvas for a child to, but this is probably besides. Well, the point what it making. then turns into is it is orientated towards something. Hmm. And, and, and I think it's right. Like, I think actually what you have to do in a scenario like that mm. is work with the community to think about what is the form of education that works for that community and allows them to participate in the shared good of mm. education while recognizing diverse family structures. So the Catholic education system did it, has done it in Australia, right? Mm. Objecting to safe schools, but then creating their own version essentially yeah. that goes into a much thicker understanding of the Catholic understanding of human flourishing while recognizing and discussing yeah. the reality of diverse family and, structures. And from what I understand, actually quite more detailed right. about diversity than the yeah. mandated yeah. Uh, materials as well. Yeah. But yeah. with the caveat of this is all within the context of we are presenting a a normative basis for the Catholic understanding of human flourishing right. in the context of sexuality. Yeah. Um, but we will also provide information about, you know. And how else are you going to, I mean, this is a question I think about sometimes, how else are you going to deal with the reality of multiple communities mm. in our community? You want to, you have this sort of tension. Yeah. You both want to recognise that you are a community. Until all are one, Joel. <laughs> 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 Quote Transformers. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, uh, yeah. isn't the idea that, the liberal dream is to dissolve all distinct communities. Well, well, because what actually takes place on for say these communities is that they are reformed. They're dis- but they're reformed towards ends that are quite coercive. So mm-hmm. the end of um, creating them into self-determining individuals, um, or you know, a school can't um, put forward a purpose around. Uh, an underst- a shared understanding around sexuality mm. and identity and so on because that would be limiting the autonomy of other students and so on. Mm. Um, so what do we have to do? Well, we have to then turn the school into a vehicle for those autonomy interests and demand they recognise them. Or another example would be um, the AHRC, the Human Rights Australian mm. Human Rights Commission, um, at one stage suggested there should be a sunset clause on exemptions for, say, um, discrimination on the ground of yeah yeah discrimination on the grounds of gender for male only priests with the idea that that would then uh force the church into accepting the liberty of women to um enter into the priesthood now you and i are both for women entering into the priesthood but you know the idea that um that's not a discursive conversation for the community orientated through its own processes and Mm. so on is just uh, uh, deeply problematic i think um but the i but the um the point here is that, you know, you have, um, you said before, well, you're always going to have something normative. Yes, you will. Mm. And you have to have this shared purposes to be a community. Mm. But we have to start thinking, well, how can our multiple communities mm. participate in those shared purposes in perhaps different ways? Yes. And these communities themselves would probably have a theological account 
right. um, of the purposes of a common life right. that could be drawn on, drawn on in order to um, think about how we come to become to form a body politic of diverse communities and things like that. So oh, what I, all I'm saying yeah. is that, so for example, the Islamic um, tradition has resources available for thinking about these things. Right. There, there's things that would probably need to be open for discussion and critique, but nonetheless, there are theological and political theological resources available. Um, and the idea that we all just need to, to surrender to the secular state in order to to make sure we all don't go at each other, I don't know, um, I, I think is very problematic. Yeah, or, I mean, it also means that by engaging in those theological resources and engaging deeply in what this community thinks, you enter into, you know, again, Pope Benedict calls it a true dialogue in which you take seriously their claims and if you disagree with them, you have to offer, you know, reasons as to why that is not, in fact, good. Mm. Um you know, so this is why, as opposed to, so take, you know, it's a more complicated scenario when you think about something like um, all the debate that's gone on over different years over um, Islamic headscarf, right? Yeah, right. In which the general claim is, well, this is contrary to the autonomy of women. Mm. This is an act of subservience and so on. Mm. And because you're imposing upon them this understanding that they are, um, you know, proto-liberal Western women, mm. right? As opposed to, you know, if you talk to a number of women who would wear a headscarf and so on, they would probably see it as their own form of emancipatory action because they're not subject to the male gaze of the West mm. and so on, right? Mm. And so you actually engage more deeply into the reasons why they do it. It's not just, I'm subjugated to this, or it's not just an act of self-limitation, mm. but it may be an act that is framed by, you know, pursuing uh, a conception, an understanding of what it is to live the good life, Um within a community that understands gender in this particular way, orientated to the divine and so on. Mm. Um, and so in saying all this, uh, these things, it seems, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, Joel, but um, I've been noticing a lot in the media, on social media and in conversation with people, um, the issue around Islamophobia and anti-Islamic rhetoric seems to be primarily addressed as um a form of racism or a subset of racism rather than um, uh, than a particular form of prejudice that is problematic or a particular type of bigotry that is problematic for its own set of reasons. Um, and it seems, it seems to, to me that the reason why it needs to be treated as racism is to say that um, the differences between Muslims and non-Muslims is purely a aesthetic one, mm. or one of adornment, mm. um, or one of choice of identity, rather than um, choice of not not choice, but um, your placement in a particular tradition um, or something like that. So we have to call it racism. Um, and if I was very cynical, I would say we have to call it racism so that me as a progressive don't need to ask questions about my own rhetoric mm. that I've used against religious communities generally. Mm. Mm. Um, I can say like that I'm in solidarity with these people that I might have incredibly dehumanized um, during public conversations when issues around uh, religious, uh, religious community communities, understanding of sexuality, gender identity mm. and things like that um, are come to bear. Um, 
is this just conspiracy yeah, no, theory? I think, no, that's or? right. So we we typically have had this sense of, you know, in one famous case in the United, Sta- United States, they talk about the insular minority, right? And um, and so there's a sort of heightened, we have this heightened sense that we should be more concerned about when we're um, engaging in discrimination against a mm. that kind of minority and a racial minority. Mm. Um and there's two things to that. One's really interesting is that we sometimes go and define something in terms of race because um, it's easier to then put them in put in a category of race because that places in the category of minorities along with sexual minorities mm. and so on. And so we're much more um, we feel on much safer ground talking about the liberties of such group or talking about non discrimination for such groups. Mm. Um, but then secondly, I think something you're alluding to is that often when we talk about racism in that way, we're really aiming for what we define as almost a race blind context in mm. which race is not meant to matter yeah, right. to our decision making because it is and you defined it as adornment mm. i could say it's culture or something like that it's mm. ethnicity uh it's something that shouldn't matter for your access to public goods and shouldn't matter yep. for these things and so on and so um you know we get concerned if we see racial discrimination which is right you know mm. right to be concerned on that and so on but then you're right you get into these scenarios right mm. in which say people will be like oh my gosh you know this islamophobia is terrible mm. you know you know um we need to protect these minorities and so mm. on we need to you know or you know to take it even to another place you know, welcome the uh, new communities mm. arriving and so on. Then you go and visit the new community and you may discover, for example, mm. that in an Orthodox Jewish scenario or uh, some Islamic context, there are sex-segregated um, services, yeah. right? Uh, religious services are sex-segregated yeah. and so on. Um, women wear headscarves. Mm. Um, there are claims as to what the nature of law should do. Mm. Um, and so then we go, whoa, 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 that doesn't seem like we're just dealing with you know, the questions of racial minority. Yeah. Now we're, you know, now we're on it slightly, you know, yeah. I wanted to talk about this, like in my induction, yeah. I wanted to talk about this as these little identity markers yeah, yeah. that create a nice little story for me that is part of simply the diversity yeah. and melting pot. We all like pot. different food, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, actually in this induction, it, yeah, it hilariously yeah, yeah. goes through this. It goes through your culture as a matter of like your food, ty- yeah, the yeah. foods you eat and so which is all partly true, of course, yeah. but like it doesn't quite get to. Well, actually, as as Christian thought, you know, we say something like, "What are the ends of political authority?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? What are we doing yeah. as a community? Yeah. How should life be ordered? Yeah, right. And I don't think, and I think our Islamic um, neighbors, yeah. you know, they have that rich conversation as well. Yeah, you know, so some scholars will point to an Islamic thought that you don't have as much of a differentiation hmm. between temporal and spiritual, between you know, a notion of the secular or secular. Hmm and uh, between spiritual authority so that there's more of a sense of like the civil Mm. authority exercising law is also um, dealing in religious authority. Mm. Now, whether that's true or not, Mm. you know, I think Islamic schools of thought can be much more complicated. But whether that's true or not, actually engaging with that because it makes claims, like I said earlier, Mm. upon our public life, you know, that, you know, we're not particularly concerned about if we're just saying, isn't that lovely food yeah. and so on? And it, it also just seems to me that um, by reducing Islam to an identity or race, it means, again, this is probably perhaps almost too cynical a thing to say, but we can only truly embrace a Muslim neighbour as a potential 
progressive, that dressed differently to me. Right. Rather than and working out ways of how do we negotiate general, genuine um, differences in the way in which we organize um, our communities, the way in which we understand human flourishing, the way, the way we understand what it means to be human. Yeah. Um, all these are kind of substantive questions that I think what I'm hearing us kind of getting to is we need to have a deep conversation about how to negotiate these things and perhaps something as as kind of flattened out to liberal identity. Yeah, and I think it has to be orientated by an understanding that there is a religious quest Mm. that has in our tradition a particular form, Mm. right, but it does not exclude difference Mm. because we can say, I can, you know, we can look at our Muslim neighbours and so on and say we understand that what you're doing is pursuing something also Mm. uh, in a, you know, in a way that mutually shares in the goods of education, the goods of civic association, the goods of neighborliness, uh, and the goods of, you know, welfare care and whatever, and is oriented towards trying to um, bring about an associational life that is richly informed by Mm. that quest to, you know, commune with a divine that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, and that, you know, then allows for the idea that we have these different communities, but we nevertheless have something of a shared quest, a plural search mm. perhaps for shared ends. Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time. Um, thank you so much for listening to us. Um, please, uh, if you have any thoughts or responses to anything that we've said, feel free to contact us um, on our Facebook page, which is... Um, you can find it. Just search for your catastrophe on Facebook. It's easy. I'm not your mum. Uh, but you can also find us on Twitter at um, uh, at UCAT, that's E-U-C-A-T underscore podcast. Um, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, also, if you could share um, our podcast around, that would be fantastic. If you could like um, our stuff, if you could do us a review um, on whatever platform you listen to us, that really helps us out as we're starting to kind of rebuild our audience after rebranding. So that would be all very, very helpful. And thank you for everyone who's giving us such wonderful and lovely, kind feedback. Thanks, Al Hewitson, who um, has said some very kind things to us and a few other people whose names I probably should have looked up before this. But we thank you for all the people that have messaged us and things like that. You're very, very kind and nice. Please uh, join us again next week as we talk about why we think Christianity is, despite popular opinion, a religion. See you then. Bye.